0: This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, The Colbert Report, Rachel Maddow Show, Slate.com, The Liberal Oasis Podcast, The Young Turks, Jim Hightower, Citizen Radio, and Counterspin with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Daily Show.
1: Here is your first quote. The waterworks have begun. That was Politico's summary of the peaceful, if slightly weepy, transfer of power in the House of Representatives on Wednesday. So, who took charge there?
2: Uh, Boehner did. That's and he right. He cried.
1: He did cry. <laughs> John Boehner. Very good, Jones. It was a big week in Washington. The air was thick with that new Congress smell.
2: <laughs> and the House Republicans. That's what that was. That's what that was. Yeah. <laughs>
1: The House Republicans are in charge now, and they are just chomping at the bit to do everything—or really, more to like undo everything. (laughs) First on their agenda, of course, is uh, (laughs) repealing the health care reform, and they've also threatened that they might undo financial reform too. But you know, we think, why would you stop there? they could make Obama take up smoking again. Fatten up all the kids in America. Reunite Brad Pitt with Jennifer Aniston. Force George Lucas to unmake the Star Wars prequel. you know, move the Capitol back to Philadelphia and finally just get in the Mayflower and throw it in reverse. They also read the Constitution out loud on Thursday on the floor and it was kind of nice. It was like a nice symbolic gesture and, of course, they had to make some pretty big changes. They, They didn't they didn't really get around to reading the part about slavery and the Three-Fifths Compromise, and they, they took out the part about Prohibition. And Did they read all the amendments they want to change? Yeah, well, that's what they did. They, the, they the, sort the, of, like, got going. And the they, new they, they took the Second Amendment and made it the First Amendment. And <laughs> also the Fourth <laughs> Amendment and the Ninth Amendment and the Fifteenth <laughs> Amendment. I, w- I,
3: w- I would have volunteered to read the Third Amendment, the single most overlooked mm-hmm. amendment in the Constitution. No quartering soldiers in my house.
1: That should no. be the First Amendment. I mean, it, I no, mean that one's every, working. Everyone, that one's really
3: working. Exactly. Yeah.
4: Everyone fights for the other ones, but this one's really working. Yeah. Wait a minute. Oh, I'm working in my house anyway, Paula. I, <laughs> I was going
5: to say. You mean those guys aren't supposed to no, be in my no.
4: house? Right
6: now? <laughs> I feel like an idiot. You didn't read the thing. <laughs> see what happens?
4: You weren't paying attention when they were reading the Constitution. You didn't know that. See? They're the
5: reason they they didn't read the whole Constitution is there's parts of it that John Boehner just can't. Here, without fooling. <laughs> <Yeah.
2: laughs>
3: Speaking of catching a real whiff of something, the Republicans are back in power. The midterm election, yes! Thank you, hero. The midterm election sweep has made me as giddy as a schoolboy who used relentless campaigns of fear to get elected to student council. And folks, the Republican leadership is ready to move this country forward. The new GOP majority is expected to hobble the president's legislative agenda and bleed his administration with subpoenas and investigations. We're going to see a series of these, uh, these investigations.
7: Eric Cantor of Virginia calls for more investigations into the administration with, quote, one major oversight hearing each week. That worries Democrats who remember what happened the last time Republicans controlled the House during a Democratic presidency.
3: Yes, forward to the 90s. Break out the Crystal Pepsi. Let's get jiggy with it. Grunge. I believe that's the sound that grunge music made. Leading the posse this time will be new House Oversight Committee Chairman Daryl Issa, who has promised to use his new investigative powers for good.
1: I think we need to do investigations in a less partisan way.
3: Non-partisan? That's crazy! We know that crimes were committed in Washington and that an African-American male was spotted at the scene. That's usually enough for a conviction. Thankfully, there is a rabid partisan on the committee. Daryl Issa. Here's what he told Rush Limbaugh about President Obama. He has been uh, one of the most corrupt presidents uh, in modern times. And that includes the president of the hair club for men. (laughs) Turns out he wasn't a member. And Issa, a small government conservative, is going to unleash an investor gusher, telling Politico, quote, I want seven hearings a week times 40 weeks. Let's see, let's see, let's see, 7 hands a week, 7 40 weeks Let's see, let's see Bathroom breaks, got to put those in there a for lunch That adds up to Smaller government I can hardly wait Ooh and job growth. (laughs) I can hardly wait for the fun to begin. And neither can my guest, a Washington lawyer, who has represented people from both parties before Congress. Please welcome, Abby Lowell. Thank you so much. (laughs) Mr. Lowell, all right. Now, it looks like there's going to be, as he said, seven hearings a week, 40 weeks. That's 280 hearings. Guys like you, who represent people before Congress, must be going, ching, ching,
5: ping, ping. Well, I have. This is, this is
3: big business, right? I, I have
5: done the least of following. I've got more business cards printed than ever before, but, and some are in blue, and some will be in red.
3: Because you guys represent both sides,
5: both right? Both sides, because we're equal opportunity counsel to people in trouble.
3: Exactly. Now, you, who, who are some of the people that you, your, your firm has represented?
5: Well, uh, I was the minority counsel meeting for the Democrats during the impeachment of President Clinton. Okay,
3: that's great. That's great. Okay, do, do you think... Where do you think you're going to get Obama here on the first one? Can anybody, can somebody subpoena his birth certificate? Well, you know, Do you think that's possible? You
5: know, I think one should remember that a requirement might be for the president to have committed an impeachable offense before but we, we start won't that.
3: No, we won't know until we investigate Obama whether he has, you know, uh, uh, committed any offenses. That's what the investigations are for, to find out whether there's something to investigate.
5: Uh, I see, impeachment
3: first and investigation second. Well, just the investigation first. Do we have to have, do we have to say it's impeachment well, or can we just say, we don't like the guy, go get him. Well, the last time,
5: <laughs> the last time around, you're right. The Republicans didn't wait to find an impeachable offense. They just no, impeached it, whitewater, him anyway. So.
3: Whitewater was a, a land deal. It eventually led to the blue stained dress, correctly? It,
5: it, it, directly, the blue water of white and the blue dress. I get it. Exactly. They, they, they eventually right. went They're together. Working. Is there, there
3: a chance by the end of this we will get a description of Barack Obama's penis? I... <laughs> Because we got one of President Clinton's. We got, it was like freckled and it bent to the right. We Am found I, that out. Are, are you $70 million, that? and that's
5: what we found out. Well, here's what happens next. If you don't stop to find an impeachable offense, maybe you and others that want to bring the demise to the, re- to the president will remember this. That in 1997, President... Yep. Clinton was yeah. at the lowest ebb of his popularity. Right. There had been a shutdown government, nothing was going right for him, and then the Republicans decided to do a fake impeachment. And what happened? His popularity went to 75%. He was never able to govern better. And so maybe this is something that President Obama is saying, throw me in that buyer That
3: was just a dry run, okay? They'll get it right this time. Let's, let's look at some of the menu at, at, at Daryl's Restaurant here, okay? Uh, do you think they'll go after the global, global
5: warming emails? I think he's going to go after lots of emails. But these hearings, I don't know, maybe the Republicans won't be looking to me to be their coach. But it doesn't create jobs. It doesn't get us out Uh, of foreign
3: uh, wars. If they do this right, they could create one job opening. Yeah, on my staff to handle the investigations. Oh, Barack Obama's in the Uh, White House. (laughs) Right, If they do it right. Abby, thank you so much for joining me.
2: Well, I don't know. I'm looking for, but I know that I just want to look some more and I won't be satisfied till there's nothing left that I haven't tried. For some people, it's an easy choice, but for me,
8: It is great to be back at work. In my time away, I spent some time getting yelled at and hung up on by people who work for various airlines. I spent a bunch of time in airports, which at this point in America have descended into medieval schemes for the infliction of humiliation. I spent a lot of time stuck in traffic in my car. Uh, At one point in Northampton, Massachusetts, while I was sitting in surface street traffic uh, that was backed up waiting to get onto a freeway that was also backed up. I watched a small concrete piece of the underpass that. I was under, fall off and hit the pavement. And then today, um, before coming to work, I spent some time uh, in my apartment trying to figure out if my mother-in-law can have high-speed internet at her house uh, in New Hampshire. The answer is no, she cannot, because apparently we can't have that in America. The idea of us falling behind the rest of the world, the countries that we compete with on on infrastructure and technology, this is not a new problem. This is not even something new for me to be obsessed with. But thinking about it over these past couple of weeks did get me thinking about our national ability to deal with this as a challenge, our national ability to deal with science and tech and higher education, whether we are getting better at dealing with those things in this country or whether we are getting worse.
2: Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on you.
8: Ladies and gentlemen, that is the elected official whom we as a country have just put in charge of higher education in the House of Representatives.
2: Most of the things that have been done by the federal government that are unconstitutional, in my opinion, have been done for good reasons. They're not malevolent reasons, but they're wrong. We should
8: not be funding education, for example. Congresswoman Virginia Fox, newly named chair of the Higher Education Subcommittee, doesn't believe the government should fund education. She doesn't believe the government should be doing anything about education. And so therefore naturally, she has been put in charge of it (laughs) for the government, for the part of it that the Republicans control at least. One of Ms. Fox's first priorities, she says, is to hold hearings on and try to undo the student loan reform that passed under Democrats in the last Congress. Student loan reform, the thing that Virginia Fox appears to want to dismantle, I think is one of the most underappreciated things that got done out of the many underappreciated things that got done in the last Congress. Before student loan reform, private companies were getting subsidies to give out loans, right? The loans were guaranteed by the government anyway. So think about that for a second. The government is taking on all the risk. They are guaranteeing the loan, and they are providing the money. And inexplicably, some private company was getting paid, was getting more government money just to hand out the government guaranteed government loans. They took on zero risk, they provided zero added value, and they got paid a guaranteed amount for doing nothing useful. It was a license to print money. Have you had student loans? I've been swimming up to my neck in student loans for most of my adult life. How much service did you get from these student loan companies that were getting guaranteed taxpayer subsidies to provide those loans that were guaranteed by the government anyway. Really. Student loan reform took that shockingly stupid, pointless, expensive middleman out of the system and used the tens of billions of dollars that that saved to ease the deficit and to give more college loans to students. Total no-brainer. Naturally, Virginia Fox wants to get rid of it. That's who Republicans have put in charge of higher education in the House. Here's who they've put in charge of science.
5: My grandchildren get tired of me telling them, hellfire, I can take a big chief tablet and cedar pencil and figure out anything y'all can if you give me enough time. But
8: Ralph Hall is very charming. He is the oldest member of Congress. He is 87 years old, which is awesome. He has just been put in charge of the House Science and Technology Committee. Awkwardly, because this is awkward even when you're not talking about an 87-year-old, but it's really awkward when you are. Awkwardly, Ralph Hall is also the porn poison pill guy. Remember when we reported on this? Uh, presented with a bill to fund math and science research and education last summer, Ralph Hall killed it with what's known as a poison pill. A poison pill is where you kill a piece of legislation by attaxing, attaching something to it that's really toxic. In the case of Ralph Hall and the math and science bill, it was a porn poison pill. Ralph Hall turned a vote for math and science research into a vote for government workers being paid to look at pornography on their work computers. 87 year old Ralph Hall, who killed science funding in the last Congress with a porn poison pill. Now Republicans have made him their man in charge of science. Are we getting better as a country at dealing with our science and technology and education challenges, or are we getting worse at that? Joining us now someone who knows a lot about Congress and a lot about science, Congressman and actual rocket scientist, Rush Holt, Democrat of New Jersey. Congressman Holt, thank you so much for your time.
9: Good to be with you, Rachel.
8: Uh, first of all, let me ask you about sort of the big question that I'm, that I'm asking here. How, how are we doing in terms of dealing with the challenges of competing in science and tech and education?
9: Yeah, well, I'm not going to disparage individual members, uh, uh, but no, there really, it really is a broad problem here in the attitude toward science. Uh, it is too many people are operating in an evidence-free zone, you know, and and on so many pieces of legislation that are really on evidence-based subjects, they should be beyond partisanship. Uh, but they clearly are not. People are falling into ideological positions and ideological certitude uh, that is, um, I think, uh, really damaging. Not on those, not just on those particular issues. We can talk about climate change. We can talk about the oil spill in the Gulf, where people were minimizing uh, uh, the, the the effect. Um, but in behavioral science and other things. You know, and and on climate change, I just wrote down some of the things that elected members of Congress, some of them very senior said. Fraud, scientific uh, data manipulated, uh, lacking scientific evidence, a radical agenda with made up facts, malarkey, the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on the American people. Uh, this This is a, really a, it's not a skepticism, it's a certitude uh, uh, that reflects an anti-science bias.
8: Well, Congressman Hall, who will now be chairman of the Science and Technology Committee, he says that he is not a, a denier of, of well, climate change, but he is promising to hold hearings that he says will investigate the evidence for climate change. What, what do you expect from those, those well, hearings and do you think it's a bad idea?
9: Uh, you know, I, I'll just say among those quotes was one from Ralph Hall. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> um, the, you know, and, and it really is a broader problem. I mean, If we're trying to make jobs, and everybody agrees that investment in research to make innovative jobs that last for the long term are, you know, is what we need, um, we're not going to build that kind of uh, research based job uh, uh, job economy, uh, disparaging science and ridiculing science, scientists. Um, there is, a, 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 I think, a deep problem. And, you know, polls, whether it's Gallup or Pew, uh, they show that there is a real partisan difference. On climate change, 70% of people, according to Gallup or according to Pew, uh, who are either agreeing with Tea Party folks or are uh, uh, self-identified Republicans doubt that climate change is occurring. Um, so it's, it's a real problem.
8: What does it mean in practical terms to have the political changes we're having on these issues right now in Washington? What, what happens practically because Ralph Hall is in charge of the science well, committee yeah, or because I mean, Virginia Fox is, is, is <laughs> in education? What's the, yeah. what's the impact?
9: Yeah, well, practically, uh, they're in charge now. You know, it's uh, you can kind of live with people who are living in uh, an evidence-free zone uh, if they're in the minority, but in the House of Representatives, uh, the majority rules. And uh, there are a lot, of, uh, a lot of people now who are going to be determining legislation, whether it's trying to repeal, uh, you know, roll back things that we've done before, uh, whether it has to do with cleanup in the Gulf uh, or uh, or investment in research, um, the, the, not only will they be trying to roll back things, but who knows what sort of uh, harebrained legislation they will be putting forward.
8: Congressman Rush Holt, Democrat of New Jersey, who is absolutely not responsible for anything that I said before I went to him in this discussion, and who is much more civil than I am at all times. Congressman, thank you very much for your time tonight.
9: Good to be with you, Rachel. And thank I can't imagine that the airlines people hung up on you. Oh,
8: they so did. I wish I'd been recording it, but then I'd be in jail. <laughs> thank you, sir. the
2: days go
0: by. A year, a little discount for you. Please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Members even receive bonus audio and video content on top of the rest that doesn't make it into the final cut of the show. So please, again, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support.
10: Today's story is called, Read It and Weep, How the Tea Party's Fetish for the Constitution as Written May Get It in Trouble, and it's written by Dahlia Lithwick. Members of the Tea Party are really into the Constitution. We know this because today House Republicans propose to read the document from start to finish on the House floor, and they also propose to pass a rule requiring that every piece of new legislation identify the source of its constitutional authority. Even Roger Pilot of the Cato Institute, its popular pocket version of the Constitution is only 495, agrees that these are largely symbolic measures, noting in the Wall Street Journal that as a legal matter, at least since Marbury versus Madison in 1803, the Supreme Court has had the last word on what the Constitution authorizes Congress to do. Nobody has suggested that legislators don't have an independent duty to uphold the Constitution as they understand it. But that doesn't change the fact that the courts, not Tea Party Republicans, even those with the benefit of extra credit classes from Justice Antonin Scalia, get to make the final call. This newfound attention to the relationship between Congress and the Constitution is thrilling and long overdue. Progressives, as Greg Sargent points out, are wrong to scoff at it. This is an opportunity to engage in a reasoned discussion of what the Constitution does and does not do. It's an opportunity to point out that no matter how many times you read the document on the House floor, cited in your bill, or how many copies you can stuff into your breast pocket without looking fat, the Constitution is always going to raise more questions than it answers and confound more readers than it comforts. And that isn't because any one American is too stupid to understand the Constitution. It's because the Constitution wasn't written to reflect the views of any one American. The problem with the Tea Party's new Constitution fetish is that it's hopelessly selective. As Robert Perry notes, the folks who will be reading the Constitution aloud this week can't read the parts permitting slavery or prohibiting cruel and unusual punishment using only their inside voices, while shouting their support for the Tenth Amendment. They don't get to support Madison and renounce Jefferson, then claim to be restoring the vision of the framers. Either the Founders got it right the first time they calibrated the balance of power between the federal government and the states, or they got it so wrong that we need to pass a repeal amendment to fix it. And, unless Tea Party Republicans are willing to stand proud and announce that they adore and revere the whole Constitution as written, except for the First, Fourteenth, Sixteenth, and Seventeenth Amendments, which totally blow, they should admit right now that they're in the same conundrum as everyone else. This document no more commands the specific policies they espouse than it commands the specific policies their opponents support. This should all have been good news. The fact that the Constitution is sufficiently open-ended to infuriate all Americans almost equally is part of its enduring genius. The Framers were no more interested in binding future Americans to a set of divinely inspired commandments than any of us would wish to be bound by them. As Justice Stephen Breyer explains in his recent book, Making Our Democracy Work, A Judge's View, Americans cannot be controlled by the dead hands of one moment frozen in time. The Constitution created a framework, not a Ouija board, precisely because the framers understood that prospect of a nation ruled for centuries by dead prophets would be the very opposite of freedom. The wonderful Garrett Epps writes that if Tea Party Republicans really listen to the Constitution, they will quickly realize that the document they are hearing is nationalistic, not state-oriented, concerned with giving Congress power, not taking it away forward-looking, not nostalgic for the past, aimed at creating a new government that can solve new problems, not freezing in place an old one that must fold its hands while the nation declines. So long as there are fair-minded judges on the bench, the Constitution will be read for what it actually says, and not what any one results-oriented group or faction wants it to be. In a thoughtful essay on Salon, Michael Lynn contrasts the semi-religious reverence with which the founders or framers or fathers of the Constitution are regarded with the endless and casual amendments to the constitutions of the 50 states. He wonders why we fetishize the perfection of the federal Constitution and embrace the idea of workable, mutable state constitutions. That question raises another problem with the states' rights obsession of some of the current Tea Party Republicans. Some of the constitutional rhetoric—whether it's talk of two-thirds of the states being allowed to nullify laws or threats to repeal the 17th Amendment, which allows for the direct election of senators—seems to confuse increased state power with greater individual freedom. Taking legislative authority away from the federal government doesn't necessarily mean freer individuals. It might just mean granting vastly more authority to the states which already have far broader police powers than most of us would care to admit. Most of the regulation in our lives comes from state regulations over health, education, safety, and welfare, explains Lawrence Friedman, a professor at New England Law in Boston. We have this idea that if the Congress can't do it, no one can do it, but it's not clear that the states wouldn't do it and do a worse job. State governments are as likely to be corrupt, bankrupt, and beholden to special interests as the federal government. The only difference may be that state constitutions don't prohibit state legislatures from making you do things you'd rather not do. Professor Robert Williams of Rutgers University School of Law in Camden notes that states have what's called plenary authority over much of what isn't spelled out elsewhere, which explains why Massachusetts can force you to purchase health insurance and why some states have much more stringent environmental regulations than the federal rules would require. As a political matter, this might not be worrisome if you live in, say, Idaho, where overregulation is not a concern. But as a constitutional matter, that's an enormous amount of potential authority the Tea Party is willing to shift to the states. Real libertarians would acknowledge that dysfunctional state legislatures poses greater threat to individual liberty as a dysfunctional Congress. But this point is frequently elided in discussions about the urgent need to restore states' rights in order to make us all more free. Partly that's because the goal here is to thwart the federal government, period. And partly there is some confidence that if red states ultimately get redder, everyone is going to be freer. Try telling that to a woman seeking reproductive freedom in Virginia. To be sure, the question of federal state authority to regulate is a complicated one. But shifting vast regulatory power from Congress to the states isn't necessarily the shortest path to individual liberty. Reasonable people can differ about constitutional values and systems. There's probably no better evidence for that than the Constitution itself. But it doesn't get less nuanced or complicated. Just because you've read it aloud, it merely gets harder to hear the other side.
11: So, this human fund that is Rick Santorum's that leads me into the whole reading of the Constitution? That was such bullshit. That was so <laughs> stupid. That was just such a waste of time. Like, It was such an empty gesture. You like, don't I
4: think, would assume... Don't you? They've, they've reoriented our Congress back? to first principles we will never pass a, a piece of legislation that is remotely unconstitutional because now we've actually read it. Oh my God. I assume that they've already read it. <laughs> if you're already even
11: thinking about becoming a senator or, you know, graduated high school, I fucking assume you've already read the Constitution. Like...
4: Why well, would I, I wrote a post? Uh, to, to commemorate uh, the day where you they did. read the uh, the Constitution on the floor of the That's House. quite clever. Uh, and I said, Republicans are going to read the Constitution. Maybe they will learn something. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not as sure as you are <laughs> that they have actually read it because they will have found out that
11: mm-hmm.
4: uh, there are various words that do not come up in the Constitution. Mm. Um, such for, as? Such as God. Hmm. The founders did not seem it important to mention God in the I Constitution. I believe this country
11: was founded on God, Bill.
4: Um, The founders seem to disagree. Hmm. Uh, and Damn you, George Washington. <laughs> they didn't mention marriage. They did not what? say marriage was hmm. sacred in the Constitution.
11: Are you sure? They did
4: not say who gets to be married and who doesn't what? in the Constitution. Hmm. It's Interesting. Funny. That yeah. funny. That is funny. That uh, is funny. Corporation. Huh. They didn't mention corporations in the no, Constitution. No, that can't
11: be true. That's <laughs> obviously in there.
4: <laughs> There's a lot of talk about individuals and citizens Individual and, rights, and the people. Huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. people talk?
11: Huh. A lot of Constitution talk. Weird. Yeah. Weird. Funny. <laughs> mm.
4: And um, the filibuster. Uh-huh.
11: Uh-huh. Yeah. No
4: mention of the filibuster. Are you sure? Yeah. The mm. filibuster is not... They. No one in the Constitution said, if you're in the minority, you get to stop everything. That, <laughs> that was not actually in the Constitution.
11: No kidding.
4: Now, there are words that are there. Yes. Um. There's words like taxes. <clears throat> uh, regulate. You do find regulate. Wait a minute. Yeah. Holy for holiness. <laughs> welfare. Welfare. In fact, there is a clause in mm-hmm. the, in the constitution mm-hmm. that has taxes and welfare in the same sentence. Huh? Where the Congress can collect the taxes. Really? To then provide for the general welfare. So they can take money. They can take money and then give it give it in other places. Huh? It's like it can spread... It's gonna spread the wealth around. It spread the wealth around according mm. to this constitution.
11: Constitution sounds a lot like communism, <laughs> don't you think? All of a sudden.
4: Anyway. anyway. So, oh. maybe they figure that stuff out.
11: Do you think... Maybe it happened a couple days ago. Do you think it's trickled down yet?
4: It's filtered through? It's
11: fucking stupid.
5: and let's go.
0: How would you like to be able to read books and periodicals without the need for tree-killing paper, the actual ability to read, or having to pay a giant corporation for the pleasure? I sure would, but I don't think that exists. Two out of three ain't bad, though, because Audible, an Amazon company, is just such a giant corporation that can make these other wishes a reality. By signing up at audiblepodcast.com slash best, you'll receive a free audiobook of your choice, yours to keep even if you cancel within the 14-day free trial. That's audiblepodcast.com slash best to take something for nothing from a company who obviously didn't write the copy for this advertisement.
12: Republicans have taken over. Ladies and gentlemen, they got us. <laughs> They've taken over the house. Today was the first day. Nancy Pelosi handed over the gavel uh, to John Boehner. Uh, John Boehner promised a new America and a new house, and there are going to be new rules. Let me give you a speech first, and then I will give you awesome reality of what actually happened on the first day. And to my colleagues in the majority of my message is this. We will honor our pledge to America built on a process of listening to the American people. We will stand firm uh, on our constitutional principles that built our party and built the great nation. We will do these things, however, in a manner that restores and respects the time-honored right of the minority to an honest debate, uh, a fair and open process. And to my friends in the minority, I offer a commitment, openness. Once a tradition of this institution, but increasingly scarce in recent decades, will be the new standard. There were no open rules in the House in the last Congress. Uh, In this one, there will be many. And to my colleague, yes, absolutely, there will be many. A new openness. It's a first day. Uh, They go to repeal health care reform. Actually, first week, I should say, they're going to do that uh, starting today and tomorrow. Uh, and will they have the openness that he was talking about? Hearings, amendments? and said, no, God, instantly the rule is violated. The very first thing they do. They said, no, no, no. on this one, we're not all allowing any amendments. And on this one, hearings, what name? so no, no, Did we say we we're going to do hearings? No, no, no hearings. John Boehner said, quote, "It's not like we haven't litigated this for over a year. Come on. By the way, when the Democrats were in charge, remember what they said at the very end, the Republicans? Oh, come on, give us another year before we do health care reform. Let's start from scratch. You remember they said that 20 times over. Let's start from grounds here. Let's start from the beginning. Just let's debate this for another year. They're in charge now. Oh, come on, we've been debating this too long. There no amendments, no hearings. That's it. Guns blazing. <laughs> Double barreled, guns loaded, as Phil davison would say. So they're coming. So that's rule number one instantly. Out the door, and then Paul Ryan talked about, all right, look, if we're going to limit spending levels, we're going to talk to both sides, and and that'll happen immediately. So, uh, did that happen on the first? Nope. God, rule number two out the window. They're not even going to talk to Democrats about how to do spending levels. They're in charge now. These guys are awesome in their hypocrisy. All right, rule number three. They said, I'll tell you what, though If we're going to pass any uh, new laws in the House. We gotta make sure there's a balanced budget, okay? We are not gonna bend on that. So we're gonna repeal health care reform. Congressional budget office, nonpartisan, comes in and says, Oh, okay, good. Repeal health care reform. Uh actually, healthcare reform saved $143 billion from the deficit, so you'll have to make that up. You'll have to put figure out a way to get uh, an extra $143 billion. Like, what? Oh yeah, we didn't anticipate that. Uh never mind. Uh we will repeal health care reform. And not pay for it. <laughs> That's awesome. Rule number three. On the first day. Rules, principles, gone. You just heard that speech right after that speech. he was like, oh, Principles? What name's up? All that thing I talked about open is, wait, joking? I'm a Republican. Oh no, God. And it's gone, gone,
13: gone. Everything, give a damn.
12: Things gone. You see yourself in the mirror and ya? feel safe cause it looks familiar but you Afraid to open up your soul cause you don't really know, don't really know who is The person that's deep within cause you content with just being the name brand man Y'all to see that it's trivial, insignificant, you addicted to material In
6: In response to Tea Party agitation, the new Republican leaders in the House have been strutting around as reformers, coming across as suit-and-tie versions of that guy on the TV show, Dirty Jobs. We're going to clean up the place, they exclaim, starting with that big legislative stain called earmarks. No more secret diversions of taxpayers' money into lawmakers' pet pork-barrel projects, decreed the new House Speaker, John Boehner. Posing as a reborn Mr. Clean, Boehner fairly sparkled at a press conference to announce that he was banning earmarks. So that's that. Mission accomplished, right? Uh, no. What the GOP has done is simply sweep earmarks under the rug. Take Senator Mark Stephen Kirk, for example. The Illinois Republican was a scathing critic of earmarks last year, even as he used his position on the Appropriations Committee to force the Education Department to funnel more than a million bucks of stimulus money into an Illinois school district. Sounds like an earmark, doesn't it? But technically it wasn't. Rather than directing the money to Illinois by way of the Appropriations Bill, he did it by way of a letter to the department. This is known to insiders like Kirk as letter marking. There's also phone marking, where the dirty deed is done by a phone call from a legislator to an agency head. Another slick move called account marking happens when a member pads the budget of a particular agency, then demands that the extra funds be spent on the member's special project. All of these slick tricks add up to billions of tax dollars every year. This is Jim Hightower saying, Mr. Clean wants our applause for a change that is nothing but a deceit. In an act of raw hypocrisy, Boehner has changed the name of the earmarked game, but the scam remains the same. Now, think about it. That really is a dirty job, isn't it?
2: It's a
14: dirty job. Someone's got to do it.
15: Well, I, I have a quick thing about John Boehner that I just wanted to remind everyone of. Sure. It's a little video. Uh, I would just like to remind everyone that John Boehner is the man who was busted for handing out campaign donations from the tobacco industry. When they were voting on a piece of legislation that would have hurt the tobacco industry. Wait, what? He, John Boehner, this was a a very famous story, but not reported on enough, I don't think, especially now. Um, He handed out checks on the House floor uh, when they were voting against, I think, uh, at least partially ending the subsidization of the tobacco industry. Right. He was handing out donations from the tobacco industry to his colleagues and basically bribing them. So he
14: was just walking around with fucking bags with, of tobacco money. With checks, money. Yeah,
15: with act- It was the most blatant... I mean, this stuff goes on all the time, but he was the most blatant offender. But again, behind
14: closed doors,
15: you right. would think. I mean, both are bad, but just... He was so brazen that other politicians ratted him out and said that this was egregious behavior and he ultimately apologized for it although uh it's not technically illegal there's no law written anywhere that you can't do that it's just obviously considered bribery the law of decency right so while he his defense was there's no specific law that says john boehner can't go onto the house floor and hand out checks from the tobacco industry (laughs) that is true that law does not exist but there's, you know, anti-bribery laws and stuff like that. So there's a chance
14: that John Boehner, as the Speaker of the House, if he says, you know, gentlemen, your time is up, uh, and they say, I will not yield the floor, that he might say, have you met my friend George Washington <laughs> and try to hand him money?
15: Well, it's funny that you use that language because the tobacco lobbyists are are constantly uh, milling around the house whenever there's a vote like this. And they're not allowed to approach politicians anymore and say, "Uh, we're going to give you a campaign donation if you vote a certain way on this bill. So what they say now, and it's really creepy. I'll suck your dick. (laughs) It's something similar to that. They go, uh, are you our friend on this? What? And if you say yes, then they go, okay. And that means you're going to get tobacco money. And if you say no, you're not a friend of tobacco. Can I point something out?
14: this is how you talk on the phone when you're buying pot.
15: Well, they're they're like the mob. They're
14: like, this is criminal.
15: Yeah, it's absolutely critical. You call
14: someone and you say, you don't say, I want to buy weed. Mm. You say like, I'll take a medium... Sure, i don't know i don't buy drugs right but you talk in code
15: right and the only difference is they're doing it in suits and if i have to say this if the laws if john Boehner's right and the laws don't exist i prevent this kind of behavior then the laws are corrupt because if laws don't ultimately lead to to justice and to a non-corrupt society <clears throat> then you have to change the laws right
14: yeah, so he's the new Speaker of the House.
15: Yes, yeah, so enjoy, everybody. And
14: the two things that lots of progressives like to make fun of is that he cries a lot, and he's orange. Both of which I could care less about. To care less about. However... When he pointed, when he was being sworn in yesterday and he pointed to his wife and his <laughs> wife was also orange, I almost lost my mind.
15: Jamie was freaking out. I be, and and I was making under- fun
14: of people on Twitter before. I'm like, stop making fun of how he looks. The
15: funniest part was that you couldn't understand why no one else was freaking out. You were like, look at her. She's orange. Like, like if him. If
14: you pen the audience and you're like, who's the wife? You'd be like, oh, I'm not going to figure. Oh my God. <laughs> there because she is. They clearly go to the same tanning salon that I would like to point out should be shut down for whatever the tanning salon equivalent of malpractice is.
15: Uh, My favorite part of the whole swearing in was when he used the gigantic gavel. Someone on Twitter tried to tell me that's the same one Nancy
14: Pelosi. It's
15: not. He actually, it was specially made for him by a constituent. Because
14: it's bigger than Nancy Pelosi. And
15: Nancy turned to him and said, well, not my gavel, but, and then he jumped in and said, it was made for me, but it was so cartoonishly huge that I thought it was hysterical.
14: It And it was just a classic example... Overcompensation. Uh, of overcompensation and of the Republican... I thought it was a great example and I don't really know why of the Republican mentality of... Talking tough and not doing anything about it. So you have all these Republicans that'll send a bunch of kids to go die for a war that they're angry about. Go get those Muslims, right? But they don't go. And it was just example of just like posture, like just these like Posturing, little boys yeah. who who just want their fucking toys. Like I have a big gavel that makes me look tough. Like give me a big gun. Give me like it was just that kind of childish fucking machismo. Yeah. yeah. Now. I gotta say, if the crying is real, and Allison doesn't think it is,
15: I no wait, I think it's real sometimes, but I think he also knows how ha- how to exploit it to sure. his benefit. But if
14: the crying's real, that's fucking the only thing I like about the guy. Somebody
15: else said that today. That was a, a tweet that really? I saw. Yeah, that someone was like, "Oh, you know who said it? Chris Hayes. He yeah, said good that for him. Mm, that's his only redeeming quality. I think." And and.
14: I, I don't like the fact that and, – and a lot of our friends are guilty of this too. And I've been really kind of proud of myself where even since the beginning, I never made fun of them about that. It just is another – I mean watching liberals on Twitter just go after them and make all these fucking cry puns and It's stuff like, like that. a step
15: away from a gay joke. Like, a step away. Well, it's
14: the same Republican mentality where they try to deem anything that's, like...
15: Feminine. That's
14: known as feminine. Right. You know? Uh, and
15: crying's not feminine in an act itself, but it's been feminized by our society. By Republicans So to see liberals jump all over him, they're bullies. I'm sorry. They're bullies. And, he's really and there's cr- so much to criticize about him, and that's what you're focusing on. It's ridiculous, uh, you Yeah, know?
14: absolutely. Where it's just, like... I think it's... Gra- I think it's great when someone, when, when a guy or when anyone can be emotional. Uh, in public. I think it's a brave kind of act. Now, personally, I think John Banner's an alcoholic, and that's why he's crying.
15: I know. He does cry a lot, but, you know, I just imagine that it was a progressive who had the same tendency. Oh, he would
14: be like, how brave.
15: Right, exactly. Like, there's nothing wrong with a dude who's sensitive. He always cries when he's talking about his kids or his family. Like, obviously, he loves them, and he gets very emotional. He always gets emotional when he's talking about growing up in the Midwest and his constituents. So, like, He's technically getting emotional over the correct things. Now, maybe it's a side effect from the tanning booth.
14: Right? I don't know.
15: <laughs> They've swollen his tear ducts. Yeah. It's not, yeah.
14: He's just oozing cancer.
15: Yeah. So, if you're going to make fun of John Boehner, make fun of him for handing out and checks to the tobacco industry, not for being a sensitive
9: dude. <laughs> Hey, David Packman here, host of The David Pakman Show
3: at davidpackman.com If you're like me, you're a regular listener of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Jay Tomlinson. If you like that, I invite you to check out my show, The David Pakman Show. Not only will you hear the best of the left, but you'll also hear some of the worst of the right, including some of the craziest bigots and racists around. But don't worry, I don't agree with them. Check out davidpackman.com check out our show, continue listening to Best of the Left podcast, and even consider becoming a member of The David Pakman Show, all at davidpakman.com.
13: Pretending that inflammatory rhetoric comes in roughly equal measures from both sides is bad enough, but CBS Face the Nation host Bob Schieffer found an odd person to praise for his reaction to the Arizona shooting, Republican House Speaker John Boehner. Rolling Stone's Matt Taibbi's recent profile of Boehner included the new speaker engaging in the very sort of overheated campaign rhetoric that he's now denouncing. Boehner had singled out Ohio Democrat Steve Driehaus for voting for the health care law, saying he may be a dead man and that he, quote, can't go home to the west side of Cincinnati, close quote, because voters would be angry with him. Perhaps Schieffer wasn't aware of this history, but another recent report suggested that some media outlets are looking to boost Boehner's profile. The January 6th Washington Post had a headline that read, A Modest Boehner Takes Congress's Most Powerful Office. The Post's point was that the new Speaker of the House tends to shun big moments and is, quote, more at home on the golf course with his rank-and-file buddies, close quote. A reception was described as mostly just folks, with the Post noting in passing that there were some D.C. lobbyists on hand. In reality, Boehner is mostly known in Washington circles for being extremely tight with corporate lobbyists. A recent Time profile called him a leading Republican ambassador to lobbyists. Many of his close friends are lobbyists. In fact, the unofficial name for his circle of political leaders and influence peddlers is Boehnerland. He is also, according to Time, a frequent flyer on corporate jets. No doubt he does it all with modesty. And one day-
8: Happy Friday. Here was the big front page screaming headline at politico.com for most of the day today. Check this out. GOP finds governing isn't easy. Over at the website Talking Points Memo, they summed it up a little more succinctly when they said, first day with the new gavel? The Republican takeover of the United States House of Representatives has not gone smoothly so far. In some cases, it's things that Republicans tried to pull off but failed at, like yesterday's reading of the Constitution, in which some passages were left out on purpose and others were left out because pages stuck together in the three ring binder from which people were supposed to be reading. Some of the mistakes came in the form of promises Republicans were unable to keep, loudly proclaiming new rules about citing the Constitution in every bill, allowing amendments minutes to every bill, having to offset any effect on the deficit of any bill that they passed. And then they broke all of those rules immediately with the first bills that they proposed. Some of their mistakes this week were just, frankly, inexplicable. Two Republican members of Congress who thought they could be sworn in at a television that was showing the swearing in instead of them actually showing up for the swearing in. It has been a rich and highly rated comedy of errors this week as the Republicans have taken over the House. But today, Republicans tripped and face planted into the first of their big mistakes so far that appears to be a purely political miscalculation. Today, Republicans use their newfound power in the House to hold a test vote on repealing the health reform bill that passed the last Congress and that was signed into law by President Obama. And here's where you might have gotten your first inkling that Republicans pressing ahead with this as their marquee first priority in office might be a mistake after all of the demonization of health reform over the past year, after Republicans used health reform as a cudgel to beat Democrats over the head with during the election, after Republicans convinced conservative Democrats to vote against health reform or even to campaign against health reform, after all of that, today, when it came down to it, when Republicans finally had their big test vote on repealing health reform, their marquee issue, they got precisely four Democratic votes. 181 Democrats voted not to repeal health reform and four voted with the Republicans, four. That's roughly the number of party crossovers you could expect to defect from a vote on whether or not today really is Friday. They got four votes, that's it. And that includes one Democrat who says that's the last vote Republicans will get from him on this issue. When it comes to actually voting for repeal, he is not with them. So that means there are a grand total of three Three Democrats in the entire House, out of hundreds of members of the House, who are willing to side with Republicans on repealing health reform. That's it. Even Democrats who not only voted against health reform originally, but are still against health reform. Even Democrats who are willing to go on Fox News to talk about how much they hate health reform, even those Democrats can tell it is a bad idea to vote to repeal it
3: to repeal it all, including the few provisions that were beneficial, just doesn't make any well, sense. So you-
8: Democratic Congressman Jason Altmaier, not a progressive leader. Jason Altmaier, eager for any opportunity to vote against his own party on anything. Jason Altmaier is not taking this one up. He voted no on health reform, but he's not voting to repeal it. It is amazing news for Democrats that Republicans have decided that this is the hill they want to die on in Washington. This is the first thing they want to do. What they want to broadcast to America about them being in charge is that their first priority is to add $230 billion to the deficit. To be clear, this means they want to make the deficit $230 billion worse. What do they propose to get? for adding $230 billion to the deficit, they propose to get 32 million Americans losing their health insurance. Well, who wouldn't pay hundreds of billions of dollars for that? Also, Americans who don't lose their health insurance will have the privilege of paying more for the insurance that they are lucky enough to keep. So your health insurance gets more expensive, 32 million Americans lose their health insurance, and the deficit gets worse by about a quarter trillion dollars. That's what Republicans are pursuing first welcome to power welcome to control you know thanks to the jason Altmeyers of the world thanks to the the reflexive timidity of conservative democrats on issues like this even when health reform passed last year democrats were never really able to create any political capital from passing health reform they were too busy fighting amongst themselves about what the bill should have had in it and whether or not it was a good idea to do it in the first place and what republicans might say about it passing as if republicans would have anything nice to say if it didn't pass How did we get from that circular firing squad, Democrats attacking each other, Democrats running from their own accomplishments, fractured Democrats on the issue of health reform? How did we get from that to all but three Democrats voting to defend it? The Jason uh, Jason Altmyers of the world uh, standing unified with the Nancy Pelosi's of the world to defend health reform. Democrats have finally achieved unity. They have finally decided health reform was something worth fighting for. Thank you, John Boehner. All it took was Republicans making it their first priority to take an impotent swipe at taking it away.
5: You campaigned effectively, you beat us good, you ran on the agenda of defeating uh, health care and repealing it, now you're doing it. Own it, admit. What it is you are doing, this is not a campaign we're playing with fire. We're taking away health care benefits to make a real difference to our families. There's no commitment to the American people here. The only commitment is to the insurance companies. They're the only ones that are going to
4: gain from repeal of this very important legislation. The Republicans are going to allow the return of the worst abuses of the health insurance industry. Pre-existing condition exclusions. Taking away your policy when you get sick lifetime and annual caps, throwing your kids off your policies. The Republican repeal of this bill would enable all those things for their very, very generous benefactors in the insurance industry. I haven't had a single constituent and I know you haven't begged you to bring back these abuses. Is that what you're doing? Is that what they want?
8: Not only would House Republicans repealing this bill add $230 billion to the deficit, not only would it take away health insurance from 32 million Americans, not only would it have everybody with health insurance pay more, Repeal would also allow insurance companies to drop you when you get sick and when you need the coverage the most. Repeal would allow insurance companies to deny you coverage because of a pre-existing condition. Repeal would have insurance companies be allowed to impose annual limits on the amount of care you can get. Maybe you hate the whole idea of the dreaded Obamacare, but who hates the idea of these things? These things that are the constituent parts of health reform, no matter what dismissive nickname you want to give health reform. What political party, what politician would want to hang his political future on fighting for insurance companies' right to drop you once you get sick, even though you've been paying your premiums all along? Insurance companies can't do that anymore because of health reform. So naturally Republicans wanna repeal it. The Republicans first act now that they control the house is to do everything they can to make sure insurance companies are allowed to drop you when you get sick. Even conservative blue dog Democrats are not stupid enough to go along with this. Just because it's something that you plan to do in advance doesn't mean it's not a blunder. Republicans have made a blunder here. They have blundered into finally forcing Democrats to reap the political capital they should have reaped in the first place from passing health reform. Republicans have unified the Democrats on health reform. They have persuaded Democrats to preach to the country about how important the reforms are that they got passed. And they have invited on the floor of the legislature that they control, a campaign ready, what are you doing to the American people defense of health reform as an achievement to be proud of and an achievement to defend. I hesitate to believe that Democrats could have achieved this alone, but with John Boehner in charge, anything is possible.
7: Hi, Jay. This is Laurie. I'm calling from Eastern Washington State. I'm listening to your uh, dark side of the criminal justice episode right now, Uh, more specifically the, the segments on tasing. And as a criminal defense lawyer, I can tell you I see this every single day. Police officers are crazy about these tasers. They do think they're toys. They think that they are uh, instruments to be used as compliance techniques as opposed to less than lethal force objects so I would encourage everyone who is listening to please 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 contact not only your legislators and representatives but your police chiefs and your police captains in your uh, local neighborhoods and in your cities and tell them what you think about the ways in which these tasers are being deployed. They are dangerous and they are making um, for some pretty poor police work and it makes it difficult for all of us to do our jobs properly. So thank you so much for everything that you do. Your show is fantastic. I am signing up for a year membership today um, and I I can't wait to hear uh, what you bring on next. Thank you so much.
2: Hello, this is Jonathan from the left coast, Portland. I'm calling to say that your Amazon ad is frickin' incredible. I love it. You really know how to market to media these days, or how to market media these days for someone who doesn't believe in buying things. That's how you advertise. Fantastic. Good job. You do well. Good one. Bye. Hey, Jay. Uh, This is the doctor. I wrote into Citizen Radio not long ago using that moniker, so uh, I'm going to use it for you guys as well. Um, Just calling in real quick about your uh, comment about uh, Keith Olbermann's use of algae as an example of alternative spending that uh, went uh, before uh, the gentleman from Arizona got his uh, organ transplant. Um, just wanted to say, when uh, when I was listening to the piece, it didn't come across to me like uh, Olbermann was dismissing it as frivolous spending, um, so much as he was just saying uh, that money would have been better spent uh, saving a human life before putting it towards something uh, that is no doubt a good cause. But uh, in in my opinion, uh, human human life uh always takes precedent over even things as important as uh alternative fuel sources. Um, that that's what I got out of it. Um, so I just wanted to call in and uh maybe maybe put a different spin on what you saw and uh, uh maybe that's what Keith Alderman was intending, maybe it wasn't. Uh that's just how I what I took away from it. Thanks a lot. You do a great job. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. I'm going to finish the show today with an abridged reading of an article from The Onion, and uh, which I think adds nicely to, t- to today's episode, and then I'm going to get irritated about something. So. Uh, first, this article from the Onion, of course, is a satirical newspaper. This was posted in uh, on November 14th, 2009. Title of the article is "Area Man, Passionate Defender of What He Imagines Constitution to Be." And the article reads: Spurred by an administration he believes to be guilty of numerous transgressions. Self-described American patriot Kyle Mortensen, 47, is a vehement defender of ideas he seems to think are enshrined in the U.S. Constitution and principles that brave men have fought and died for solely in his head. "'Our very way of life is under siege,' said Mortensen, whose understanding of the Constitution derives not from a close reading of the document, but from talk show pundits, books by television personalities, and the limitless expanse of his own colorful imagination." It's time true Americans stand up and protect the values that make us who we are. Right there in the preamble, the authors make their priorities clear. Quote, one nation under God, said Mortensen, attributing to the Constitution a line from the Pledge of Allegiance, which itself did not include any reference to a deity until 1954. Well, there's a reason they put that right at the top. Mortensen said his admiration for the loose amalgamation of vague half notions he calls the Constitution has only grown over time. He believes that each detail he has pulled from thin air, from prohibitions on sodomy and flag burning, to mandatory crackdowns on immigrants, to the right of citizens not to have their hard-earned income confiscated in the form of taxes, has contributed to making it the best framework for governance, quote, since the Ten Commandments. The freedoms our founding fathers spilled their blood for are vanishing before our eyes, Martinson said. Don't just take my word for it, Martinson added. Try reading a newspaper or watching the news sometime. So that's the article, as I said, an version, but man, if you are not uh, reading The Onion on a regular basis, you are really missing out. Now, I also said I was going to get irritated today, which I'm going to do right now. I just wanted to lend my voice and opinion to something that really, really irritates me about people I agree with on all of the issues sometimes, um, but it's, it's about how we make our arguments. And so I wanted to lend my support to basically uh, you know essentially everything that was said in the clip today from Citizen Radio, they basically went on uh, on a long discussion talking about why you should make fun of John Boehner and why you shouldn't right now. John Boehner is the leader of the Republicans in the House, so he is the chief whipping boy for any opposition who wants to speak out against the Republicans. He is kind of their their the biggest fish to go after at the moment, but uh, this argument really applies to any political figure at any time. And I just want to kind of vehemently (laughs) express how much I think it is important to tear down figures like that for really solid and valid reasons. I think it makes you look like a better smarter person who's going after the issues rather than picking on individuals for whatever sort of silly shortcomings they may have uh like being orange. Uh, if you listen to a quarter the amount of news that I do, uh, you know, especially progressive news, you know, liberal commentators, anything along those lines, there's a really good chance that you've heard more jokes about John Boehner's color than would be deemed healthy by any responsible physician. You know, I'm sick to death of hearing that joke, and I've never thought it was funny or worthwhile. Years ago, um, John Boehner was referred to very regularly. It was the the Young Turks made a habit, a very good habit, I thought, of referring to him as John Tobacco Checks Boehner. You know, if you're going to consistently make fun of someone for something – have it be something enormously relevant rather than ridiculously irrelevant. I could really actually keep going on this for quite a while and get really irritated and come up with more examples and, and, and other politicians and call out progressive uh, you know, commentators by name and say how irritated they make me uh, by the way they you know, talk about politics in, in you know, what I think are sometimes really juvenile ways. Uh, but I'm going to stop now. I think you got my point. So that's it. I want to encourage everyone to keep voting on the campaign I've been promoting for the progressive slate of candidates trying to win money, cash money for their programs. Uh, The link you can go to to sign up to vote every day to help them win the competition, to win the money, is a bit.ly link bit.ly, bit.ly slash progressive slate. Just follow that link, type it in, uh, and, and all the details will be right there of what the program is, who you're voting for, how much money they can win, and so on. I want to encourage everyone to do that. And I want to thank a couple of members. Stuart S. signed up as a communist member on the Lukowski scale back on September 15th, signed up for his monthly membership back then, and has been taking based on his need, but giving based on his ability ever since. And then Kathleen L signed up as a leftist member back on December 5th and has been keeping up with the show since then. So huge thanks to Kathleen and Stuart and all of the members and donors who make the show possible. You guys know I couldn't do it without you. Everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it. Stay connected to the show and help spread the word online by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. The Facebook page just crossed 3000 people liking it. So uh, that's pretty awesome. Thanks for everyone for doing that. With that many people on the Facebook page, of course it makes for interesting conversations when things get posted. There are actually enough people there that people respond and have conversations and it's really fun. So everyone should check that out clearly. And then for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all of that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So, coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 10 times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com.
2: The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Who shadow bases the floor Who'll take you out